everyone, Eva here, just providing a quick trigger warning because in this episode there are mentions of the mother and baby homes, Magdalene laundries, and also abuse against women. If you're affected by any of these topics, there'll be links down in the bio to help you, as well as links and information about the topics discussed in this episode. A big thank you to Linda and Liam for coming on the pod, and as always, enjoy. are listening to are you two in love or with Evo Byrne and Lucy Holmes or Lucy Holmes and Evo Byrne depending which way you like us um this week we are doing a very very special episode with two very very special guests we have Liam Kiernan and Linda Hayden here with us and I'm gonna let them introduce themselves um so my name is Liam Kiernan and I'm the chair of Ogerhin Fane and TCD and I'll let you take it from there Linda uh, I'm Linda Hayden. I'm a podcaster, activist, Stockdown. Very cool. Um, really, what we wanted to talk about on this podcast is how weird politics has become in Ireland. It has become this, like, almost like a peacock type showing off weird Trumpism video frenzy um, with people getting into arguments in the doll votes of no confidence it's just become really hard to follow i think for the majority of people it's become really hard to keep up with and perhaps that's a strategy we don't know loads of things appear rushed loads of things appear undealt with and linda in particular you started a thread on twitter that took a look at some of the scandals that have happened over the past five six months 152 days um have passed since the government was formed and so much has happened that I actually don't know where to start. For you, what is the biggest and weirdest scandal that has happened in the past six months? God. Um, well, I started doing super threads um, about what was going on with, with, with the politics and stuff like that back at Golfgate. So I suppose Golfgate is the, the big one. Um, so my first one was Phil Hogan. And I did a big long thread about all the different things that Phil Hogan had done and why he wasn't really a suitable person to be carrying on in his role as European commissioner. Um, and the idea of it was to pull everything together because people forget, you forget very quickly what goes on. So I did that one. And then when I finished that one, I did one on Seamus Wolf because again, Golfgate, uh, we had a Supreme Court justice who was there mixing with politicians and bankers, why? Um, and so I started pulling together a lot of information about Seamus Wolf. Um, so then last week after the whole Leo Gate and Leo the Leak, and I'd done a thread on that one too. Um, so I said, look, do you know what? It just seems like June isn't that long ago. The 15th of June is when this government was formed. Let's have a look and see exactly what they've done over the last while. And I just like, it, the thread is way too long, way too long for that that short period of time. But I think the big one in there has to be Golfgate um, mm-hmm. and all of the fallout from it. Um, it was the biggest thing that undermined confidence in the government. Um, it was the biggest thing that created a divide of them and us. You know, um, people very much felt that the they felt that the rules didn't apply to them. And that stuck in a lot of people's cross, particularly people who had been abiding by the rules or people who had lost people. Um, and then when you pile on top of that, I think uh, Leo Gate and Leo the Leak has been kind of the second one. You know, when you've got a Tanishta 
who undermines the, uh, the just the integrity of, of mm-hmm. the government system, um, then that's a real worry. And Sinn Féin were 100% right to take mm-hmm. that vote of no confidence. 100% mm-hmm. right. And just like when it comes to that vote of no confidence, Liam, you know, you might be more aware of everything that's going on. But what was the kind of feeling amongst members of Sinn Féin when this weird blame of wasting money to take this vote of no confidence? I think that was the weirdest bit for me personally, because I had never thought of these actions as a waste of money before. I thought they were necessary to implement democracy. And meanwhile, things like Golfgate aren't a waste of money. And, you know, unnecessary breaking of rules aren't a waste of money. But to Fine Gael, a vote of no confidence was. Like, how how is that perceived to you and to other members of Sinn Féin? Well, I guess we basically just see it as Fine Gael, they know they can't really defend Leo. They know Leo did something wrong. And their best defence is to go on the offence and push everything back at Sinn Féin and say, oh, Sinn Féin, you're wasting all this time. You're making us take this vote. Uh, I can't believe you made us spend, uh, what, 20,000 euro on us. And they deliberately planned that it would cost 20,000 euro because it was supposed to be on a different day. It was supposed to be when Sinn Féin was already had speaking time in the doll. That was when the vote was supposed to take place. Then they moved it up and to a new session. And yeah, it, an absolute just ridiculous media strategy by uh, uh, Fine Gael just to push all the blame on Sinn Féin. I mean, I think it's really interesting as well that the kind of line they went down was, well, this is a waste of money. We're just wasting taxpayers' money. When we can simply look back to 2008, when we had a Fianna Fáil, Fine Gael and Green government, and they spent 64 billion on a bank bailout. Now, you can debate back and forth whether or not this is a waste of money. Different people have different opinions. But to say, I mean, in my opinion, something that is so integral to democracy, i.e. questioning the people that are in power, is a waste of money seems a little bit strange to me well yeah, can i just like, two million for a printer that hasn't print one sheet of paper yet yes no that printer i there yeah there's this whole thing of like i there was a printer in the doll which was built too big for a room and they can't get it into the doll <laughs> and they need to remodel a whole room as if they could just order a suitable normal printer i just there's so much bureaucracy and like I just I, I don't have faith in the government and I you know you want to have faith in the government because they're the ones who bring in the legislation around COVID they're the ones who you know hopefully will lead us to you know normal what is normal anymore that's another question for another day but then you see like Seamus Wolf hiding basically from the government and not taking accountability and then his accountability is not appearing in court until february and donating money to charity i i just i don't understand how i mean i mean if if it was different maybe i'd be rioting in the streets but it's just like how have we let these people be in power for so long it's just bizarre to me I think I think one of the big things about it is the reason why we haven't taken to the streets and we sh- we should have we should have at Golfgate um, is because of COVID. You know, mm-hmm. they're they're being they're hanging on by a thread because we're in a pandemic and people are worried about changes, big, big changes happening while we're in this pandemic. Um, so that's the only reason, I think, because there's been enough to go on, like the mother and baby homes. I know, you know, the 
how there wasn't riots after that. Um, so I think it is due to COVID. They're really, really lucky. They're, they're actually really lucky um, because all of this is going on at a time when people can take to the streets. And we know from, from various different things like the water charges and stuff like that, they're, they're, people are angry. People are rightly angry. And, and if they can hold that anger until time is a little bit more normal, this government won't survive. I'm really hoping that that anger can be sustained because I say as soon as COVID is over, people will be taken to the streets. And the thing is, I think some things are kind of too coincidentally coming out for it to not be. I mean, this is just, uh, you can call me conspiracy theorist. This is all alleged. Like none of this is like actual, but it's very coincidental that certain things are coming out at a time where we can't protest, at a time where we can't call it out. Exactly. over. Like a lot of things are being hidden behind other news stories, which I think is quite interesting. It's just like the whole dealing with the legislation behind the Mother and Baby Homes Commission. They left it until the last week possible. And I know we when we looked into it so much for our previous podcast, and they'll be linked in the bio of this one. But like they delayed it in June because they're like, oh, we can't, you know, COVID, it's too much. Like, you know, we need, need, we need time to handle this delicate matter. And then they barely have two debates on it and rush it through. And then public information just isn't there. And yet they have so much money to spend on making these videos about how much Sinn Féin has and how much money they have. And like they're just tearing down the opposition because they don't want to take accountability or either they can't because they'll lose their supporters. But at the same time, I just think that within Ireland, we don't have this political education because... I will put my hands up and admit up until about like sixth year, I was perfectly fine Fine Gael. I just thought that they were the good guys because, well, they brought in repeal and they brought in uh, the like gay marriage. And then the more I looked into them, the more I kind of realized that like, you know, just because they have Leo as their leader does not mean that they are a progressive party. And I think that's image is starting to kind of fall away, if you know what I mean? Because like people are starting to realize that they're not good guys and that yeah Leo's very conservative Mm. like he he was anti-choice until he saw the way the stem of the tide was going so don't make that mistake just because he is um he's of an Indian background and um he is a member of the LGBTQIA plus community doesn't mean that he's not fairly Torish to be honest um, and has some really funny views about pe- poor people and women in particular. So, mm-hmm. I mean, there's that. Has he not said on record that he hates poor people? <laughs> his, 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 sorry. <laughs> no, there was that uh, article that came out that said that uh, Christmas Carol was his least favorite Christmas film because Tiny Tim should get a job. I remember this because we talked about it in the break of the last episode. And we're in tears. It's just like, and like, even if it was a joke, he still thought about it enough for Tiny Tim should get a job. And it's like, you know, it is, I do think it is like a wolf in sheep's clothing when it comes to um, Leo. And especially, so my own relationship with the opposition currently is very strange because, you know, Labour let us all down a lot a lot of the time like they just they just didn't really seem to be a strong party and then Sinn Féin I think a lot of Irish people have a complicated relationship with because it's just there's 
so many links to you know past violence but they aren't there anymore and I think Finnegale and Fianna Fáil exploit this and kind of bring it up and try and paint Sinn Féin to be really bad guys but we've seen through you know Owen O'Brien and um, Mary Lou that you know they're determined to get rid of this you know the the what was it like the like the old boys club within politics and Liam like have you noticed more people have started to pay attention to Sinn Féin or are you noticing more discourse like what is the kind of political climate like for Sinn Féin at the moment? Um, I'll give a bit of context for that so last mm-hmm. 2019 with the local elections and the European elections Sinn Féin did terribly and basically had uh, losses across the board had no real direction it seemed like it seemed like Sinn Féin had reached its peak and was slowly drifting downhill. Then later on in the year, um, we had the by-elections, especially with Mark Ward winning a seat in Dublin Midwest. And then we had um, the Westminster elections, especially with John Finucane winning a seat in North Belfast. And I think after those two events, that really set, uh, set Sinn Féin on a new course, basically on the up. And with uh, uh, the uh, general election, I think it's interesting what you were saying about um, Fianna Gael and Fianna Fáil, anytime Sinn Féin's ever brought up, they immediately just tell, they say uh, to the public, oh, but, but the IRA, what, what did they do? And that was their basically the, uh, Fianna Gael and Fianna Fáil's strategy during the election. Just yell IRA as many times as possible and hopefully try to drive all the voters off. And the voters saw through that and um, gave Sinn Féin a resounding victory. Mm-hmm. Um, and nowadays you see a bit of a different shift from Fianna Fáil and Fianna Gael because they realise that that strategy just doesn't really work. Voters aren't going to just not vote uh, uh, Sinn Féin because of events in the past. Um, and that's why they've switched to a different dynamic of, well, Sinn Féin, they're just, they, they're not fit for government. They don't know what they're doing. You need to rely on Fine Gael and Fianna Fáil. You know, they're respectable. We've been here for a while. We know what's going on. Uh, we're really the professionals. And yeah, it's just, just disgusting from Fine Gael and Fianna Fáil. Yeah, because it's like professionals and then within like the first week or so of the new government of being, I actually don't, can't remember when this happened because it's been so long, but the whole scandal around uh, Barry Cowan, I just, I was so amazed that there were so many people almost sticking up for him and his actions after like drink driving um, and like and like it was almost the arrogance of believing that he wasn't going to be charged or wasn't going to lose his position and even like continuing on to Golfgate as well like Phil Hogan seemed determined like clawing on to his position and Seamus Wolf seems to be doing the same thing and it's like these people don't even believe that they can be removed from their positions like they just they just believe that they're here to stay and I, I just ugh. every time I think of Golfgate, I actually like boil up inside. I just get so annoyed at how they. How, I just because I just know that there was. I went to any event. People had to know. People had to see emails, texts. Like people do talk to each other. So it's not like nobody in the doll knew. Like there was plenty of people who probably knew about it, and no one kind of went. Hang on, this you know, what if we get caught? It's just like this weird arrogance that particularly Fianna Fáil and Fianna Gael seem to have. And like, it's kind of reaching into the Green Party as we've seen with the way that they treat their um, youth wing. And Liam, like, how do 
Sinn Féin treat their like youth wing? Like how do they treat? Um, I mean, I definitely don't really have any complaints for how Sinn Féin treats its youth wing. Um, I mean, we certainly are the, I guess, um, most radical edge of the party. So we're always trying to push the party to the left. And sometimes there's a bit of pushback on that. Um, but no, I mean, the senior party is always happy to help us because they know that we'll help them. So I think it's a very good relationship uh, between the uh, two organizations. Now, I can't really speak for how Fine Gael and young Fine Gael get on. I'd say they get on quite well because young Fine Gael are only in it for the PA jobs. Mm -hmm. but... <coughs> Sorry. Um, but yeah, it's just like, I don't know, when you look at the way that Fine young Fine Gael have come out and talked about bullying or harassment online, it's just really odd because I just I naturally see centrist to right wing parties as less empathetic, less caring. And there's certain members which we won't member which we won't mention of or previous members of Young Finnegale who are awful and have said horrible, horrible things online. Um, and it's like, do Finnegale care about our well being? I don't think so. I like me and Lucy have said before that we think they've we almost weaponized mental health in the face of all of this. Um, but mental health clearly didn't matter when they're all dining at Golfgate. It's just this whole spiral of just I get I just lose hope. I don't know about anyone else. I just lose hope when I read more and more about what this government has done. Definitely. And I think like I know it's something that I've kind of been really going on about recently um, and anyone that's listened to a previous podcast has definitely heard me talk about it but the thing is the thing that sickens me about this government is how they weaponize mental health and we saw it when lockdown two was coming they were like well what about people's mental health and I'm like yes that is a very important question but you shouldn't be asking this question as an excuse not to go into a lockdown you should be asking this question before the pandemic when we were like the mental health sector is completely underfunded the health sector is completely underfunded and we mm -hmm. saw as well that the, like HSE was like absolutely not able to cope when lockdown one happened and yet we have come to lockdown two and there's been absolutely no changes and it's mm -hmm. like the government would rather weaponize health and mental health than actually do anything to fix it it's seen as an excuse or a scapegoat rather than something that actually needs to be addressed exactly and like um, yeah, like Linda, when you posted the picture of Eamon Ryan asleep in the doll, I remembered that, like, I'd forgotten about it, and then I remembered it, and I was like, he had voted against the living wage mm. at that time. He was woken up to vote And the Greens have done themselves no favours at all. Like, the Greens are going to come out of this decimated. If they hold two seats, they'll be lucky. Um, because of the fact, and and they've lost membership like I've never seen anything like the amount of greens who are leaving but very high ranking greens they're leaving they've lost a councillor um they've lost a, 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 an MEP candidate um so they're you know the membership is not happy with them and they're not listening um and for them to come out particularly around the the, the motion of no confidence and be like oh no we totally have faith that was their opportunity to actually stand up and say no, we don't agree with this. And they didn't. Um, mm -hmm. And it just goes to show like they're the lapdog of the other two. They're only there to make up the numbers. They hold no power whatsoever. Um, and you can tell even with the mother <coughs> home thing um, that 
you know, Roderick O'Gorman is a green minister. Um, mm -hmm. That goes against every principle and, and social principle of a left party. So if you think the Greens are left, you're sorely mistaken. The Greens are only interested in being in and staying in power um, because they wouldn't be doing all the things. Think of all the things that they voted against. Um, mm -hmm. The rent freeze, the living wage, um, you know, the, uh, a deal for the Debenhams workers. Those are all left initiatives and, and they did not they did not vote on them. So if you're a left party and you're not voting on stuff like that, you're not a left party. Mm -hmm. It's just like, even like, like even when the mother and baby homes bill was voted on in the doll and the same night, I think, or like another thing was voted on like the ban on evictions or a ban on um, the co-living. The co-living, um, co yeah. yeah. And I was just like, can you can you guys just take a break from trying to destroy normal people's lives normal working class people's lives because ultimately i like i fully buy into the sentiment now that greens are basically centrists on bikes they do not care really they're kind of they're Fine Gael members who care a lot about the environment um and what's going to come in here with an environment environmental like opinion I have worked with environmentalists I work with different environmental organizations and it comes across to me that the Greens don't actually care it's a very performative like the thing is a lot of their campaigns are very very Dublin centered and as important as that is and as much as that matters it's genuinely down the country where things need to happen and the thing mm -hmm. is the the Green Party push this very individual narrative of climate change they'll be like oh well you need to work in your carbon point yeah and that doesn't work. You need to do this, you need to do that. But the point is, if you live in the middle of nowhere and there's only one shop and you can't buy vegan or you can't buy bread that isn't imported from Spain, that like, it's it's the fact that the blame goes onto the individual and the consumer rather than going in with legislation and trying to fight these things that they claim they care about. Now, people are free to disagree with me, but I just don't see them actually caring if you cared, you wouldn't blame the people, the population. You would actually try and fight some of the companies that are causing the problems in the first mm -hmm. place. Because there isn't a lot of environmental um, education in Ireland. Like there's the green flag scheme for schools, but even then, that's not real environmental education. You know, we don't actually really get taught what should and shouldn't go into different bins. Like I didn't know that you cannot put like cards with glitter on them into the green bin. You can't do that. Black bin only. Um, and it's like this whole it's a whole new kind of thing that you have to understand and learn about but it should never come down to the individual person and really like if the green party are eradicated they're gone they're they're out of power um, and there is no real party that's there that distinctly has environmental policies Liam do you think Sinn Féin will start to incorporate more green policies into their kind of like what they're going to promise if they are elected into government or do you think that's just a thought for a few years down the line or do you think they're going to take advantage of this new kind of gap in the market yeah, i mean definitely um like lynn boylan is the uh, climate spokesperson and she's very very good at that uh, and she's worked in the european parliament um with a number of environmental um institutions um and obviously basically any socialist party you have to have uh environmental aspects to that and really maybe i'm just a cynical political hack but I really just have no respect for any Green Party, basically across Europe, because to me, they really are just spineless middle-class parties 
who uh, are not really interested in uh, the sort of radical changes that is needed to stop climate change. They're just interested in, well, if you put a five cent tax on uh, uh, like coffee, that'll make a difference, which is just not the case. And I think with the Green Party, especially, especially losing their, basically the entire membership, so a lot of people that aren't a member of political parties don't really realize how important uh, membership is, especially in a country like this, for re-election campaigns. And if Eamon Ryan doesn't have anyone to help him get re-elected and knock on doors, he's just not going to get re-elected. And I think the Greens just don't care about their membership. They don't care about the young Greens. And it's, it is just a sad situation for them. Mm -hmm. the, it's the just transitions that they've thrown under the bus. Do you know mm -hmm. what I mean? Like, um, it's the people who want to make sure that um, environmental, environmentalism is, is fair for everybody and it's not disadvantaging people. And that's the people that they, they really um, alienated. And it's the just transitions that are leaving exponentially like. And the thing about it is environmentalism without social policy is just gardening, you know? Mm -hmm. um, you're, you're, not, you're not addressing the inequality that's there um, to allow people to be able to access. So if you say, for example, you wanted to make a house um, more energy efficient, but it's going to cost you something like 20 grand and you're on social welfare to do so, um, then that's prohibitive. You know, there has to be an equity there to allow people to access these green initiatives. And the Green Party don't seem to be pushing for that at all at the moment. Because mm -hmm. it's like, even that whole story that broke um, earlier on in the summer where they were killing seals with like for no reason and I was like why are you killing seals if there's a green party in power and they're killing animals isn't this a bit it seems rather <laughs> like we've seen it consistently especially but it's it's nothing new that the green party is very performative in their actions it's like oh well if we say we care and like the thing is they haven't shown to us that they care but they're like if we say we care we can get the vote from the left but we can also get the vote from the center it's mm -hmm. a i think the green part uh, the green party is a very very not necessarily its members but its ideologies are very very middle class they very much suit the middle class and very much shit on the working class is the only way to put it and i know it's a, a nice way to put it but ultimately anything they try and get pushed through the doll and if we look at look at this historically it always adversely affects the working class. Mm -hmm. It's just everything that has happened has disproportionately affected poor people. It is, it just feels like a target, you know, because I just, and here's my fear is that, you know, so with the way that Fine Gael are conducting themselves online and like this whole like propaganda against Sinn Féin, there's going to be people who are alienated from both opposition and the current government. So where are they meant to go? Like, who are they meant to, you know, believe in? Because currently all the government is doing is fucking up with, like, the whole Leo the Leak thing and the language that was used in the texts and everything. I was just like, how are these people so self-absorbed and so unaware of what their actions could do? I just oh, like they're fully even they're fully aware of what their actions can do. They've warehoused people for over a hundred years in this country. You know, you have a look at the direct provision system, the mother and baby homes, the industrial skills. They were all under Finnegal governments. Do you know mm -hmm. what I mean? So um, you know, they're well used to it. They know exactly what the impact is. And don't think that the rushing through of that legislation wasn't in order to hide things. 
Um, and it'll be very interesting to see when the report does come out, which is late at the moment. Mm -hmm. But mm -hmm. when the report does come out, it will tell a lot. Um, but the actual files themselves will tell a lot, not yeah. necessarily what's going to be in that report. It's 4,000 pages and it was only covering 18 institutions. They exactly. Yeah. About a tenth of what was there. So that they're, they know full well. They, they've done it before. They're, they're only doing what they always do and getting away with it. The thing is that people are starting to get really pissed off and holding them mm -hmm. to account. You can see that in the massive shift towards Sinn Féin in the last moment. And if this government falls, I would tell you to tell your party, triple the amount of candidates you put forward and you'll have a majority government in no time. Like, it, change has to happen and people are annoyed. Um, and the only way they're going to get it is with a left government. That's the only way it's going to happen. Yeah. yeah, it was just so weird when, like, the government was being formed and, like, kind of the disappointment that there wasn't that many, well, there was a good few, but not enough to get a majority Sinn Féin candidates. And I suppose that was the impact of the previous election before that, that there was, like, a lack of confidence in putting forward that many candidates. But it was this whole, like, the whole vote left, transfer left. Gre the Greens benefit benefited so much from that. And they almost like just slammed the door in everyone's faces. And I've been doing, um, weirdly enough, within Trinity, uh, the current history module I'm doing, there is a lot of focus on institutions within Ireland. And what is the most horrifying thing is that a lot of um, like Magdalene Laundries, mo mother and baby homes, they were set up under other names. So they're almost impossible to find. There's no real records of them. And the fact that the report only focuses on 18 institutions, it's like, you know, this is barely the surface. And God knows, because like there's this whole debate of what we had in the last episode where we talked about politics. Um, our friend Jessica is doing her dissertation on um, kind of government involvement within mother and baby homes. And it's like, are they are they hiding everything? Or like, what is so bad that they don't want it to be public initially? Like, what could they have done? And just the, I don't know how we haven't lost more confidence in them before when they are perfectly happy with selling Irish children to rich Americans. Well, Eamon de Valera's son was involved in illegal adoptions. Mm -hmm. There is one thing that we know that for a fact. Um, and there was talk about that there was certain mother and baby homes that um, were full of children that belonged to TDs. So there's a lot of things that there was collusion as well, because you have to remember, um, say, for example, with Chum and the 800 babies there, um, the religious order that managed that um, were paid to bury those children by the government. And what they did was they threw them into a septic tank and kept the money. So there's a whole heap of stuff there, just even from those three things. Um, and, and you have to, to understand the church still has a lot of power here. So mm -hmm. the NGOs, a lot of the NGOs that are running like the, the family hubs, um, the NGOs that are uh, running some of the direct provision centers, um, uh, a lot of the homeless services are provided by um, NGOs that had a religious base, um, mm -hmm. had a religious background. So the church still has a lot of power here. So they don't, it, it, don't want to upset the church and also, um, there would be a certain amount of redress 
that mm-hmm. would have to come from that and the government don't want to pay that so they want to kick it down the road 30 years so that they don't have to do that so there's there is reason behind it like it, people are like it doesn't make sense there's reasons why they're doing it and there's reasons why it was rushed through so um yeah don't, don't be be very wary you know if you're dealing with ngos and stuff like that always have a little look into the background of them because you'd be very surprised what you'll find mm-hmm. one of the things that terrifies me the most is that after this pandemic after everything that's happening like we are going into a global recession these mm-hmm. are going to be leading through global recession they can barely lead us out of a paper bag by the looks of it you know so where how do we stand i don't know if you guys have any thoughts or anything on that you see the thing is that we have we have money within the economy and our economy didn't shrink as much as they thought it was going to because the um everything that's going on the biggest risk is brexit i think um it is an unknown quantity and we have no done deals and we're coming very fast up towards the deadline um for trade agreements and stuff like that like brexit is done they're, they're gone they're out of the eu now so um there is a lot of uncertainty, but the problem is that we have a government um, who keep giving jobs uh, and, and tenders to people they know without going through proper tender processes. Um, they don't have an accountability. So say, for example, the National Children's Hospital, um, which is costing three billion and they're now saying is not going to be ready in time for 2023 and it's the most expensive hospital in the world. You have an issue there where that developer had previous history of doing this putting the lowest tender in and then coming in way over budget and way over time there was no accountability for that they were still awarded this this contract so there should be a level of accountability there for that um there should be some sort of corruption agency so if you are in receipt of of government money or if you're handing out government money you should be um looked after by a, a a a corruption agency with teeth so you very often we set up these boards to regulate things and they have no teeth so this has to have teeth it has to have accountability and people you know if you break the rules yeah or you're found to be corrupt you have to have accountability jail time and stuff like that so there's stuff that you can do to because we have grossly mismanaged funds at the moment um so the money's there so if you think as well things like direct provision um mm-hmm something like 20 billion in the last 20 years spent on direct provision that could very easily have been used to house those people integrate them into the irish society and um actually be making tax money off them yeah no i think it's definitely interesting to look at where the government's money is going and how it's going that way like there seems to be a lot of brown paper envelopes when it comes to our government and i see a lot of things happening and i always wonder who has dirt on who because it to be mm-hmm. oh, I'm just going to give this development to my friend and as soon as it starts to go wrong they refuse to pull out so there's something more going on there's an underlying narrative the problem is we don't have anyone to hold the government accountable so they can just do what they want mm-hmm. this is a huge problem because they've done it for our like the entire history of the country and by the looks of it none of it's gone well like this country seems to be so like I think the government is particularly now has kind of relies on the fact that they assume that young people won't be politically engaged or politically active, especially parties like Fianna Fáil and Fine Gael. Um, they 
I, I, this is obviously just anecdotal evidence, but people of my parents' generation, for example, are very distrustful of Sinn Féin because of the world they grew up in. And you can understand why. And Fianna Fáil and Fine Gael like to weaponize that against parties like Sinn Féin because they assume people our age will not go out and will not vote. And they want to keep us as complacent and as passive as possible because it benefits them. I think the, the, the attack on Sinn Féin is not a bid to try and get people not to vote for Sinn Féin. It's to pull voters away from Fianna Fáil who aren't doing it. You know, so if people are afraid of Sinn Féin um, and there may be potentially a Fianna Fáil voter and they're like, well, why isn't Fianna Fáil holding them to account? Fine Gael are. And they may mm-hmm. pull, pull voters from that. That's what I think is going on there more so. Yeah, like Fianna Gael have this government just yeah. around its finger. Like, <laughs> probably the fact like Micheál Martin referring to Leo Varadkar as the Taoiseach kind of just shows the kind of power relationships within the government. I don't really see that many different policies from this government compared to the last one. I know the Greens always come out and they say, well, they're going to go into government anyway, so we can, uh, we went, uh, went in with them, just try to drive them a little bit farther left, which is just a lie, because you can, there's no real difference. Yes, they may have gotten some things in their agreement when they decide to go in government. That doesn't mean anything. I think, how many years did the government promise that they would reduce carbon emissions and they did nothing? Those commitments don't mean anything because there's no one holding them to account to actually meet those. Uh, it's just, uh. and then you had the thing the other day about the um, uh, NAGP lobbyist being appointed to um, or nominated to CIPO the same time Leo Radker is being investigated in relation to leaking a, gar- a, a document to the NAGP, which is just so flagrantly just not caring about uh, morals, ethics, anything. They feel like they can get away with anything. Oh, he didn't know. Mm-hmm. He didn't know. But actually, within three clicks, if you click on lobbying.ie, within three clicks, you can see she lobbied for NAGP 159 times. That's just a search on lobbying.ie. That's ridiculous. How how can the Tarnishta not know that? He just he doesn't know how to work a laptop, pretty much, is what they're trying to claim. Is that you know, he just he just couldn't figure he just couldn't figure out how to read. And when he's been um, the doll and he didn't know that NAGP offices were across the street from Lancer House. No, it was just oh, there's so many things that just happen within the doll that I just like the row between Michal Martin and the Healy Rays, I just I just sat there and watched it and I was like, are you, are you, are you kidding me? Like just, and then this whole, also the way that Fine Gael have treated public health advice has been really strange to me that Leo seems to lord it over Tony Hulahan. And like, there's a lot, I have a lot of problems with, with Tony Hulahan and the way that he handled like, you know, cervical cancer crisis and, you know, a lot of things, but you should not be battling it out with your public health advisory board in public do it behind closed doors if you want to but kind of making fun of their advice and making fun of a second lockdown and then people died because we didn't go into a second lockdown fast enough i just I meant that we were in for six weeks but it emboldened the anti-maskers yes exactly. I mean? it literally told them that it's okay to ignore and advice and that mm-hmm. is dangerous that's Mm -hmm. very dangerous yeah i don't know it's just this whole even the way the like the uh, treatment of the anti-mask protests as well in comparison to human rights protests that have happened across this year it's just it's so horrific to see that 
there was such a slow response and even like the minor things like platform like and it's not directly the government's responsibility or fault but there was platforming of Steve Bannon recently by RTE. There has been even the the kind of the rhetoric of uh, Kira Kelly makes me very nervous. I don't like how much people are kind of buying into the let's just not listen to, you know, public health advice because they don't know what they're doing. No one knows what to do. So let's just try and trust a doctor that's trying to provide us the most you know, reliable information, but there's this whole distrust. And I said in our last podcast, people in Ireland seem to believe rumor more than fact. And I think that Fine Gael almost benefits off this. They just don't really care to straighten out any information that's out there. They're just like, well, it's, it's not our business. And it just oh, annoys me so much. I'd say that's just an example of Fine Gael's Trumpisms. Mm. Mm. But you see, you see people posing as centrists, but then they're platforming right wing people and you're kind of like, really? And, yeah. and saying things like, uh, you know, the, the right and the left have both um, murdered people, you know, like uh, trying to equate them as equal. Um, and, you know, when they're pulled up on it, there's no accountability at all. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and these are people on a platform, like a national broadcaster platform. And you have to be very careful with that because words matter and what you say and things like that, that matters. You know, people yeah. listen to you and trust you if you're on that platform. So um, I'm very, and the types of people who get their news from Facebook, you know, yeah. um, will very much anything like that. So yeah. I, I saw that. A tweet today that was like the way that Facebook has destroyed the whole world in a matter of years is statistically very impressive and I was like it is there's no like government direction anywhere with because like we talked about it as well I hate referring to the last episode but we were like there's all these campaigns being like check your sources on the tv and it's by RT I'm like didn't you guys platform Steve Bannon like a, like a week ago and then he got banned by Twitter? It's like, please it's, have a moral compass of where you're going with this. I'll give you an example, a perfect example of this. So there's a guy on um, Twitter who does an awful lot of threads um, mm-hmm. and, and, and they're threads that tell people what they want to hear. So it's mm-hmm. like, oh, there was this many negative ca- cases and stuff like that. And um, he's been doing it for since the beginning of the pandemic. Um, and, and Leo Radker has retweeted him and quote tweeted him. And, you know, we saw um, information this week where they're um, they're monitoring social media around COVID. The Department of Health are monitoring it and they're paying a pretty penny to do so. Um, and this guy featured really, really heavily. But it's quite this week that he's an absolute scam artist and has scammed hundreds and thousands of euro out of people over the years. Um, and is doing this as a means to try and scam people out of money on Twitter. And um, not a word from the government in regard to the fact that the Tallish show was retweeting his stuff, you know, an anonymous account. Um, no, no idea who this person was or whether they were credible or not. Yeah, that's exactly like how Trump, well, not the same, but it is the same action. Trump retweeted videos of like violence and, and like, you know from anonymous accounts retweeted bogus information and if you're like and even there's 
I found some likes by Leo Radker about a month ago, and it was <laughs> my current mood is Emma Thompson and Love Actually playing the Joni Mitchell CD, and I was like. You know your likes are public, Leo. If you're gonna go on social media, please have a private account for you and your friends and family. Like Irish politicians shouldn't have social media, in my opinion, because you know Simon Harris blocking everyone who disagrees with him on Twitter. Is Same a bit, yeah, it's like it's very odd, and the way that things are reported on within Ireland again are, is really odd. And just touching on social media. So we've seen uh, social media campaigns have been and general campaigns have been launched um, talking about the involvement of uh, well, group and where the good sisters of our good institution and they are Huma which uh, have set up a uh, direct provision center for abused women so there's been a campaign trying to get their involvement out of there because we've seen that whenever church and state mingle in Ireland it's just never a good result and also there's been campaigns to uh it's against where no is it against or for the 20 it's against the 27th amendment right because yeah. I have this really embarrassing twitter exchange where I accidentally followed an account that was for it and I was like oh god what have I done for three seconds but there has been so much discourse around these two things and I just had to bring them up today because like we've seen what happens in direct provision the awareness is at an all-time high and it's just how can we begin to solve this problem of just institutional abuse it's just I yeah like just trying to get the government to pay attention and even if they do pay attention I just don't think that they'll try and put in a better system because in a way that the current system that's in place they they do benefit off it there's evidence that suggests so so what what can we do to help these people in direct provision who are ultimately suffering from institutional abuse well I can tell you a little bit about the campaign because it's a victims alliance campaign it's um our human trafficking department is uh the one that launched it um because rohama talk about sex exploitation an awful lot and sex trafficking and they don't focus on the fact that it's it's um economic and commercial trafficking and children trafficking of children is actually much more prevalent um they're absolutely obsessed with sex trafficking um they've got three sisters of the good shepherd um sitting on their board um, who used to run uh, the laundries. So um, we had a real issue with that because people who used to run laundries should be having nothing to do with vulnerable or um, exploited women. Um, and the other thing about Rahama is their anti-sex work. So um, if you have somebody, say, in a direct vision centre who's had to engage in survival sex work, i.e. they're only on 38 euro a week and they potentially have children that they need to buy nappies for um, things like that. Um, then we have we do we have seen some people in direct vision centres who had to engage in survival sex work. So um, how they would treat those people. I would be very concerned about um, the whole idea of this direct vision center is that it's going to be for people who've been trafficked for sex. Um, so that's people who are in the height of trauma 
Um, and I just don't feel that they have the track record there in terms mm. of being able to deal with that. Um, in terms of direct provision, we have an ethnic minorities department within the um, the Victims Alliance, and we are working with abolish direct provision at the moment as well in terms of how we can help them and um, trying to raise some awareness about it. There is a commitment in this government to ending direct provision within the next four years. However, they're opening new direct provision centres, so there, there seems to be a contradiction in terms there of why are you opening new direct provision centres if that's the case, you know, like if you're going to end it. But then also you had during uh, Leo Gate, um, Macho O'Toole, who was the, the uh, NAGP guy involved, um, asking the whistleblower if he was going to um, get his organisation to open a direct provision centre with a big money bag uh, emoji after it. So you can tell that it is um, jobs for the boys again. Um, it's obviously very lucrative for the companies that are doing it. And um, there doesn't seem to be any commitment there to ending it. So unless we have a campaign, and, and the problem with it is people who are in direct provision are in very precarious situations. Um, people who are asylum seekers are in very, very precarious situations. So if something happens to them, um, they feel that they can't report it because it will affect their asylum seeking process. So we deal with an awful lot of victims of sexual violence who've either, um, experience sexual violence in the center or have come from a country where where they've um been a victim of, of sexual violence and um there's no mental health um supports there for them in direct provision um so we try and and get them whatever they need in terms of that but then likewise if they've they've experienced it within the center if they've experienced the trauma within the center they're afraid to go to the guardian um, because they think it'll affect their asylum seeking process. So it's very important for us um, as having the privilege that we do to be talking about this and to be highlighting it because they're afraid to, to, ups, to upset the apple cart. They're, they're at risk and they can be moved out of the centre that they're in um, and moved like that. So if they're children, the kids will be, have to move schools, they'll, leave, they'll have to leave all their friends and stuff like that. So um, it's very important that we are doing the talking for them and making sure that we're highlighting all the issues for them because um, there's a risk to them there. So um, mm -hmm. that's what we're working on at the moment, you know, in terms of direct provision and trying to help. Because mm -hmm. like even within direct provision, so if you give birth while like in it, your child it has no claim to stay in Ireland at all. And that is like, for me and the asylum seeking process in Ireland is so manipulative and abusive and it takes complete advantage of anyone who is trying to settle here trying to find a better life and it's like this system is already it preys on vulnerable people and it just drains them of whatever they have left it just it is essentially imagine laundry without the labor and it is just like and that's what I'm terrified of is that like behind the scenes there could be um ways of like just doing very poorly paid labor like we just we don't know enough about what happens in direct provision centers we've seen the reports of mold the food the meals people documenting their journeys anonymous stories because they're too afraid to speak out and there's so much work that has to be done um and like repealing the 27th amendment that passed in 2004 which which 
I am of the, of the opinion that it passed because there wasn't enough accurate information about it. It's obviously not within my own living memory because I was four years old. Um, but reading about it and asking my parents about it, because um, they they voted against it, they're like, it just didn't seem like a legitimate campaign. It was like, because it was there in the first place to um, include people in the North. That was the whole aspect of it, that people in the North were also entitled to an Irish citizenship because it was on Irish land. And it's just like, how can the government let that, how could they have let that slide the first time? Because they included um, birth figure rates that included having an Irish father um, with a non-national mother. Um, and the child was obviously entitled to Irish citizenship and also babies born to nationals of other EU states, which are entitled to remain here under EU law. And I just, I don't understand how it's 2020 and we're refusing not only decent, you know, a decent, a, de a decent life and decent living conditions, but also if you are a pregnant woman in direct provision, the chances of you, you know, receiving abuse, receiving a poor living standards, and also your child doesn't even get citizenship when they are born. It's like, it's too much. Like, it is I, so... I think the thing... <sighs> Like the thing that frustrates me the most about the Irish government, and I mean, there's a lot of things to choose from, let's be honest, but it's how genuinely performative everything they do is. There's no weight behind anything they say. We saw it back in the past when um, there was apologies for um, the Magdalene laundries and promises that things like this would never, ever happen again. And yet here we are talking about okay. It's the same thing in a different form. <laughs> best way to explain it and the government are like people are saying like this is not on we have seen this we have seen this exact story before we know exactly how this plays out and yet you're still letting it happen it's the thing is and they're like oh well we'll try and end it in the next four years but the big word there is try they're going to try but that doesn't mean they're actually going to do it and they're well, just do you know that it was a temporary measure mm -hmm. 20 it was brought in as a temporary measure there's been a number of things that have been brought in as temporary measures so the methadone program was a temporary measure that's still ongoing um, to, to handle the heroin problem that was happening in, in Dublin, particularly in the 90s. Um, direct provision was a temporary measure that was brought in to um, because we had an influx around about 97, 98. Um, we did have a, an influx of, of asylum seekers then. Um, and so direct provision was brought in to try and deal with that. And now 20 years later, we know that um, people consider it as a cash cow. So there, there's a whole heap of stuff. Be very careful when this government says they're bringing in a temporary measure. It mm. isn't temporary. Yeah, it is just so disheartening. And especially when you look as because like all temporary measures in this country have somehow managed to like cling like a barnacle to the side of this sinking ship. Um, very poetic language there for me. But like even mother and baby homes slash Magdalene laundries were seen as a way to remove impressionable women from seeking um, a living through prostitution, a scene of a scene as a way of removing young women from being influenced and other reasons. And they kind of collected or rounded up women who were even somewhat rebellious. Um, like, I didn't know this, but even Sinead O'Connor spent time in a Magdalene laundry for bad behavior. She shoplifted. Um, but it's just, this country does not know how to deal with any problems. And 
I'm just terrified to like if this if Fina Falls sorry my cat's near uh, if Fina Falls slash Finnegale are in power in four years when direct revision is gone what temporary measure are they going to put up next what what's going to be there next I just I don't have any trust in them to they're gonna find they're gonna find a reason not to do it yeah they're gonna find a reason not to do it it'll be either the homeless numbers will start to creep up again and it'll be oh we can't afford to put asylum seekers into the the social housing um figures and then the reason why the homeless figures will creep up again and they will is because they have no political will to try and um fix the social housing problem um, and they're not building enough social houses. And Ono Britain is probably the best person in the world in terms of his uh, his policy on housing and what we need to do to fix it. I think there he's is- the best person in the world, full stop. <laughs> yeah, true. Hey, Madeline. Um, but the, the thing about it is, like, um, the all the sums have been done, all the figures are there. Sinn Féin actually have the answer on it. And all the government needs to do is actually take that policy and adopt it. Um, but they won't because there's no will to because uh, I, I'm not sure the numbers on this one so I need to check but the last government 41% of the last government were land, landlords um, and I think mm-hmm. it's probably about similar now so um, they're making money yeah. off the HAP scheme um, which was also a temporary measure um, so they're making money off the HAP scheme um, the Developers all have them in their pockets, so there's no will there to, yeah. to and, and that'll be why they won't abolish direct vision. You watch four years time, we can meet back here and we'll yeah. see. It's not <laughs> we'll happen. have a reunion episode in four years time. Um, but really like, really from this whole episode, what we've learned is that maybe Fine Gael should listen to some of what Sinn Féin has to say, because they might have an answer to a lot of the problems. Um, and like, that's another thing, like Finnegale seems to hijack any kind of populist, um, vaguely left wing uh, referendum, like repeal gay marriage. They just kind of hop on and they're like, we're the good guys. So, you know, if you really want to get some positive press, anyone from Finnegale from the watch list who is listening to this episode, I'm sure you are. Um, there you go, some ideas. Um, but I think we're going to wrap up on this episode um, because we've been talking for a while. I would just say thank you so much uh, to Liam and Linda for coming on and educating us so well about what's going on, because we all, you know, need to like kind of tune in to what's happening in our country because it is really important and it can be really confusing. And I hope this is helpful to some people out there. If Lucy has any closing comments. <laughs> I think you put it very eloquently. Um, Liam and Linda, thank you so much for your time and all of your information. As always, I have learned so, so much. I always think I know about this government, but they always find another way to piss me off, which is wonderful. Um, thank you both for your time. Thank you for coming on. Um, we have been Are You Two In Love? Or I am Lucy Holmes and Eva is, of course, Eva Wilburn. Um, Our guests have been Liam Kiernan and Linda Hayden. And we thank you all for listening. <laughs>